Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of God, the most gracious, the most merciful. All thanks and praise is due to God. We seek God's help and forgiveness. We seek refuge in God from the evil within ourselves and the consequences of our evil deeds. Whoever God guides will never be led astray, and whoever God leads astray will never find guidance. I bear witness here there is no God but God, alone without any partners, and I bear witness that Muhammad is God's servant and God's messenger. You who believe, be mindful of God, as is God's due, and make sure you devote yourselves to God, to your dying moment. The most numbing moment of my life was when I woke up one lazy summer afternoon in the midst of a transition into my senior year of college and one of the most significant years of my life, and I dragged my feet to the bathroom in yesterday's clothes, looked in the mirror, and could not recognize the person looking back at me. She wasn't looking. She was kind of like staring. She was searching for something, trying to make me make eye contact. She wanted to find something she could recognize, and I tried so hard, but missed it. I didn't know what I was going through this, at this time. This weird fog that weighed over me where I felt displaced from my connection to anything. I didn't feel good about myself. I felt like I was withering away. Things got so, so low that I thought that that had to be the end. But since then, I found out that that certainly wasn't the end. And that wasn't as low as things could go. In my writing and on social media, I talk a lot about the feelings of inadequacy and the perceptions of failure that decorate one's journey to one's dreams. But I think one level, one level deeper is the frequency of our spirituality at those different points in our lives. When are the moments you feel your faith, your faith is the strongest, and when are the pressure points when it weakens? Spirituality is made up of many different layers, and it's affected by many different things, of which we might not even be aware. And I think that the most neglected experience impacting our spirituality is that of Muslim women, and girls, and children in our society, and the assault we must endure on our identities, our livelihoods, our humanity. I was 11 years old when I made the conscious decision to lie about my religion. It was two years after 9-11. I was in middle school. I was on a yellow school bus on a sunny afternoon, ready to head home after another exhausting day of trying to fit in and always somehow captivating the attention of bullies no matter how hard I tried to disappear. My bus partner was an Italian kid that sat next to me. And I knew he was Italian because he was in my Italian class. And he turned to me and he asked, what religion are you? I didn't wear a headscarf at the time. And so I had the chance to let the acidic bead drops of his curiosity roll off my back. It was a distinctly different moment from the first day of school wearing a headscarf only two years later when I had a breakdown walking to school in the morning and seriously considered ripping the scarf off my head before walking in through the doors because I was terrified of what all my peers would think, what they would think of me, how many friends I would lose, 
But in this moment, in this moment right here in sixth grade, my frizzy hair catching the sun beaming in through the school bus window next to me, I hid within the veil of anonymity and ambiguity. It's something Mediterranean, I mumbled. I don't really remember. I didn't realize it back then, but that moment would become a defining moment in my journey. It's true that it probably stayed alive in my consciousness because of the shame I felt. Even in that moment, for not being brave enough, courageous enough, strong enough to say I was Muslim. It was a compounded shame. First, because of how society pressured me into viewing myself as a Muslim girl. And second, because what I perceived to be my inadequacy to defy it was a heaviness I carried against myself, bending my shoulders, sealed by the media's image of who I supposedly was. It mangled my self-esteem like the unforgiving metal shoes of Chinese women's feet many moons ago, going against nature to turn them into something they're not, only to disfigure them into something no longer recognizable as human. Looking back, I can only describe my formative years as if I had spent them standing on coals, shifting my burdensome weight from one foot to the other simply to exist, simply to stay in place, nothing more, just to stay in place, but only for me to live in a constant state of discomfort. Constant. I could never feel the relief of weightlessness. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> How many people saw that movie? Okay. So then I guess many of you will remember this concept of a pit in the movie, right? It's called The Pit. It's a deep, deep hole in the ground. Um, it, it serves as a prison. Its tall walls have ledges that prisoners can attempt to climb to escape. But the last ledge, all the way at the top, is too, just too far away from the edge for people to reach. Everyone who tries falls. There's a huge rope that hangs down um, the middle of the hole, um, a sort of lifeline, if you will, that prisoners tie around their waists whenever they want to attempt to climb the walls so that when they almost inevitably fall, they'll take some injuries, maybe get slapped around against the walls on their way down, but they won't really die. In this hole, what they call the worst hell on earth, the light is always in plain sight. Sometimes it's instigating hope in the prisoners of ever climbing and finally reaching it. Other times, it tortures them with the agonizing reminder of a freedom that will always be just beyond their fingertips. Of course, Bruce Wayne finds himself cast to the bottom of the pit, and he might have surrendered to the hopelessness, except he heard a legend of one person that was able to make it. So he was inspired to try. So several times, he would tie the rope around himself, climb, and of course, fall, succumbing to horrible injuries in the process, each time worse than the last. In one scene, Bane, his arch nemesis, tells him, you merely adopted the dark. I was born into it, molded by it. I was wondering what would break you first, your spirit or your body? It's a question I pose to Muslim women in our society today. 
what will break first, our spirit or our body? Islamophobia is the spiritual jihad of our generation, meaning our struggle. And it's a collective struggle. Some of us adopted the darkness. Teenage and adult lives being turned upside down in a new era of hatred. Some of us, like millennial Muslims, were born into it. Our formative years happened here. The development of who we are took place under a complete assault on our identities, especially for Muslim girls. Entire wars have been built on our backs, both physically and ideologically. Our bodies, Muslim women's bodies, have become pawns. We've become pawns in political chess games of convincing the world that we have so little agency over these bodies that we need to be liberated. Through opportunistic military incursions, bombs, detainments, and policies that have torn limbs and lives and families, robbed us of our children, our husbands, our nations, talking heads on the news that know nothing about who we are speaking on our behalf because we are voiceless, we are oppressed, we need to be liberated. At the same time, even after such liberation, our bodies still don't belong. Yusur Abu Salha, Rezan Abu Salha, two beautiful young women known for their charity work and humanitarianism, mashallah, students. Around my age, I sometimes wonder if the beautiful white scarves they wore on their heads in all their pictures were stained with blood when their neighbor killed them, execution style, in their own homes, in Chapel Hill almost exactly the same exact time last year. Their bodies were shot, riddled with bullet holes. Their bodies died long before their spirits. So then, my sisters, I ask you, are we going to allow ourselves to be molded by the darkness? Or are we going to feed our spirits, turn our faces to the light, and stubbornly, resolutely, persistently climb towards it? Spirituality is an interesting thing. It's an interesting, limitlessly powerful, transformative thing. Looking back now, I understand how intertwined my spirituality was with my decision to start Muslim Girl when I was 17 years old. Not because my spirituality was off the charts as you might expect, but because my spirituality was tense and uncomfortable. It was so weighed down by society that it wasn't allowed to thrive. It was constantly in a state of conflict with everything I was hearing on the news, the blonde white men and women that looked nothing like me, knew nothing of my religion, telling the world these awful lies and propagandized stereotypes of who I was and what I believed in. The internet was no different. It was no different. Seeking comfort online in Muslim spaces at that time, early 2000s, it only brought me to nonsensical fatwas or legal rulings um, of what women can and cannot do, what's haram and what's halal, how we should dress in public, 
when we can wear nail polish, if we can talk to boys, even if we're immersed in a mixed society as this. And I felt alienated on both sides. Even within my own community online, I was still unsettled by the discomfort. I knew at that time that there had to be more Muslim girls out there that were around my age, that went through the same experience, were going through the same experiences that I was, that also felt displaced, that also felt like they didn't have a place where they could belong and connect and discuss. I wanted to find them. And innocently, all I wanted to do was create a place for us to simply exist. Simply exist. Instead, I can proudly say that we have thrived. Muslim Girl has done a lot to identify, strengthen, and embolden both my spirit and the spirits of an entire Muslim Girl army around the world. In the face of threats to our livelihoods like ISIS and colonization, our weapons of choice are social media, the internet, and ultimately, our voices. One of our younger writers, in a roundtable just last week, last Friday, we were inspired by the Women's Mosque of America to hold a women's only khutbah in our new studio, our first independent creative space in Brooklyn. Um, and it was an incredible moment, both in our journey and for these wonderful young women that were part of it and were able to witness the growth that we had together. In this, rain, this roundtable, one of our younger writers who actually joined Muslim Girl just as she was graduating high school and right before she started college, almost around the same age when I started Muslim Girl, and she reflected on how having Muslim Girl behind her made her feel more gutsy in speaking truth to power in standing up for herself in school, and even standing up to educators that were perpetuating inaccurate perceptions of Muslim in her classroom. She's one of many young women that have benefited from the chronicle, the ongoing reflection, the address of our lived experience, and also one of many that have given me the unprompted privilege of calling me their role model, me the girl that one sunny afternoon on a yellow school bus lied about even being a Muslim. When I was a teenager and even a young adult, Muslim girl was always just a hobby for me. But in this way, it almost started transforming into almost a double-edged sword for my spirit too. Suddenly, when I had those human moments, those Moments of weak spirituality, weak faith, just unexplained weakness. When I looked in the mirror and could no longer recognize my reflection anymore, it was made astronomically worse, knowing that I was supposed to be the leader of a so-called Muslim website called Muslim Girl. I wasn't living up to the expectation of the perfect Muslimah, but I should be, right? I should be the example. <laughs> what a hypocrite. And that would make me feel even more despair. And I would get weaker. And all throughout college, 
I would start turning to people I shouldn't turn to, doing things I shouldn't be doing, wandering into places I had never wandered into before to distract myself, to numb myself, to soothe the throbbing pain of my spirit. And then that would make me feel more guilty. And the cycle would repeat. My self-worth was in the ground. I was still, even with Muslim girl, simmering in the discomfort. Prophet Muhammad said, never a believer is stricken with a discomfort, an illness, an anxiety, a grief, or even a mental worry, even the pricking of a thorn. But Allah will expiate his sins on account of his patience. As cliche as it sounds, because, you know, it's almost all we ever talk about, I truly believe that patience is without a doubt a key to success. Patience is the keeper of the spirit. Patience is what weathered Bruce Wayne through the cold and painful nights in the absence of the sun. There was no light. Verily, with hardship comes ease, God told us in the Quran. Verily, with hardship comes ease. To go back to the frequency of our spirituality, I think that the frequency of mine was all over the place in college. It really was. And I think Muslim girls' inconsistency reflected that. We only published articles every once in a while. We honestly faded in and out as quickly and as rarely, but still just as beautifully as a shooting star. We would get active in the spur of a moment, and then the spark would fade, and we would disappear into the darkness once again. And yet, in this way, almost poetically, I think that Muslim Girl is the most honest, raw, real-life chronicle of the Muslim Girl in one of the most significant moments in our collective history. I say what I have said, may God forgive all of us. After I graduated from Rutgers University in May 2014, straight out of Jersey as soon as I possibly could, and I moved straight to Washington, D.C. I was about to start my first real career job as a media relations specialist at the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, a civil rights group. I thought at the time, hmm, now that I have, I'm making my own life, I'm getting independent, now that I have some time outside of classes and exams and assignments, why not get serious about Muslim Girl? Why not put more into it? Why not start focusing on cultivating it into something now? So I developed a staff. I implemented a system to manage us all completely online. And we started regularly making content. And this staff was entirely volunteer, just like the Women's Mosque of America. They were women that wanted to contribute this labor of love. Not because we wanted to, but because we needed to. We needed to reclaim our narrative. We started regularly making content. We started telling our stories, uplifting our voices, addressing the very real issues taking place against us in our society. It was growing so quickly, and the growth happened so fast, and the work got so much that I would wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning before work, take care of Muslim girl straight until I had to walk into work at 9 a.m., 
then come home at 6 p.m. and work on Muslim girls straight into the night again. Every single day. I got my mind so focused that I started taking care of my body better. I rid myself of the greasy college diet, even though I really, really loved it. <laughs> I still miss the fat sandwiches at Rutgers campus. Sacrifice, uh, sacrifice for spirituality, right? I rid myself of the greasy college diet. I started eating healthy. I started working out every day. And I did so right alongside my Muslim girl regimen, my Muslim girl regimen. My goal wasn't to get hot or lose weight. I just wanted to take care of myself, to better myself. I wanted to become the best version of myself I could possibly be. I've lost almost 100 pounds since then. My spirituality by that point had probably never been stronger. Because the thing is, the mind, the body, and the spirit are so intertwined. We as women tend to neglect that. What with needing to work twice as hard to shatter the glass ceilings capping our careers, all the while taking care of our families, everyone around us, expending love in a way that has literally become the backbone of humanity. We are lifeblood. And sometimes we get so busy taking care of everyone else that we forget that. I sharpened my mind so much with Muslim girl that I was able to discipline my body and having a strong mind and a strong body fed my spirit. And my spirit, my unbreakable spirit, fed my mind and my body both. Even in the frenzy of headlines and hate crimes and the sad events happening around the world, we need to take care of ourselves. We women need to take care of ourselves. We can only put in our 100% into the world if we are the, at that 100% ourselves. These days, I've come to believe that being a role model isn't about being perfect. It's about being honest. And it's my obligation to be honest with you that I'm not perfect, and my patience has been tested time and time again. And I have failed a lot of those tests. One of the most agonizing tests that I experienced was also one of the most recent, May 2015. By then, Muslim Girl had been republished on Fortune, written about on Time.com, it was quickly picking up speed and getting quoted and referenced in many places online. It was even making it onto the TV stations, even onto the news. We were on CNN. We were finally, significantly starting to become part of the conversation. A conversation that, ironically, was always about us, but to which we were never invited. That month, I had gotten a job offer from Al Jazeera America. Oh, oh my God. Seriously. Oh my God. I was 22 years old. I was offered a job to be a project manager. My childhood dream was being handed to me right in front of me. My ongoing dream of an alternative media network 
that would change the game forever was standing right there. And I had spent a year in D.C. networking, going to events, just barely starting to create a life for myself there. But, I mean, in the face of that, I knew I had to take it. So, almost effortlessly, I decided to really put in the effort, as much energy as it needed, to uproot my entire life and chase my dream to New York. On my last day in my D.C. apartment, I was sitting in my living room. I was surrounded by a disarray of cardboard boxes, and they literally were filled with the contents of all the things that made up my entire life for a year, all boxed up and ready to go. I was waiting for my dad to drive down from New Jersey with his truck so he can help me move everything. Dads are really good for that. And it was in that moment that I received a phone call from Al Jazeera America's HR department. They told me right then and there that my start date, which would be in three days from that day, was postponed. Suddenly, the entire world came to a screeching halt. Panic started to creep itself into my frontal lobe. Then my dad showed up. We sat on my couch, we laid out the options in front of us, and of course he was worried, as any parent would be. He said, you could change your mind right now. He told me that. He said, it's not too late. You can unpack your boxes, go back to your job, and just stay here. It wasn't too late. <laughs> but no, Baba, did you not see The Dark Knight Rises? When I said it was my, my, one of my favorite movies of all time, I definitely wasn't joking. I reminded Baba about the pit. I told him about Bruce Wayne, about climbing to the light. Um, this part is a spoiler, spoiler alert. So if you don't want to hear what happens in the movie, everyone um, you know, that's wearing a headscarf, just like, tie it a little tighter so you don't hear. Everyone else, just like, cover the ears. But in the movie... Bruce is in the pit. He tries again and again to get to the edge, to get to the light, only to fall and injure himself every time. So then, for one last time, he focused on strengthening himself. He focused his mind to be as sharp as the rocks that ripped at his skin and wounded him for even trying to reach for something greater. He trained himself on his own, physically made exercises for himself, built himself up to be the strongest he could possibly be. And then, of course, he defied Bane and the darkness, and he nursed his spirit. He nursed and trained and fortified his spirit and to being stubbornly, resolutely, persistently dedicated to reaching the light no matter what. And then, he took off the rope. That lifeline that saves you from falling to your death, that comfortably gives you the peace of mind that there's a second best option with which you can settle, he tossed it. And then, 
for one last time, he made it life or death. And death was not an option. And with that fear, that carnal, instinctual kind of fear that only surfaces when your entire being is awakened to survive, he tried again, and he climbed, and he reached, and he jumped, and he made it to the light. I didn't know what would be waiting for me in New York whether my dream job with Al Jazeera America would work out or if God had something else planned for me. But my mind was strong, my body was strong, and my spirit, it was stronger than ever. And I wanted to see what life existed outside of that pit. I wanted to reach for the light. And in in the face of my spirit, I had the strength to face the sheer fear of leaving behind the rope, leaving behind the lifeline. Sometimes we're caught between a rock and a hard place. The rock being the life as we know it, the discrimination, the silencing, the oppression of a robbed narrative and what that does to our soul, to our spirit, The hard place is leaving it all behind, painfully moving forward for a chance to command our dignity, to protect and to honor our spirit. Muslim girl for us is survival. And we know, just like the legend in the pit of the one person that made it, it only takes one to inspire an entire generation In the face of that carnal, instinctual fear, everything else fades into the darkness. Sometimes it gets dark enough that you lie about who you are. Sometimes dark enough that you don't even recognize who you are in the mirror anymore. But there's light, and you have spirit, and you can reach for it, and you are strong enough, and you have it in you, And maybe one day you can get on a Forbes list. Maybe you'll even be standing at an altar giving a khutbah about how far we have all come and how absolutely illuminated the future is of how much farther we can go. God commends justice, doing good, generosity towards our relatives, and God forbids what is shameful, blameworthy, and oppressive. God teaches you so that you may take heed. Welcome to Salah.